the Afrozone Show with your girl Sheila O, and this is How Far. How Far now? What's up? How you were doing? What's popping? Spill the tea. Tell me what's going on in this crazy time that we all live in, where life as we know it is no longer the same. But you know what? Just keep your head up. Keep social distancing. Put good for us in everything you do. And use this time. Use this time to be very creative. All right? Speaking about creativity, you all know I love basketball, right? But unfortunately for me, okay i was shortchanged with height all right so i'm five six apparently i'm supposed to be six five the other way around but it's okay it's okay i'm living my best life still but my guest today she's the first overall pick in the 2014 wnba draft from stanford university she was the 2014 wnba rookie of the year and she's also a two-time and WBA, okay, WNBA All-Star for 2014 and 2018. No joke, I tell you all. She's currently a starting forward for the Los Angeles Box and is the Vice President of the WNBA Players Association, which is the WNBPA. In 2018, she became a full-time multi-platform ESPN NBA analyst, becoming one of the youngest, yes, youngest national sports studio analysts and one of the only full-time professionals athletes to currently hold a regular national sports media position. The 6'4", tall, okay? The 6'4 forward and Cypress, Texas native, graduated from Stanford University with an international relations degree under the mentorship of Dr. Condoleezza Rice. I know Dr. Rice. I took her to Nigeria. Yay! <laughs> and I also tell you that this 6'4 goddess is also of Nigerian heritage. She might love a goosey ogbono like me. I don't know. But Chine Yogumike, how far? How you doing, girl? I'm doing well. Thank you so much. That's probably the best introduction I've ever had. <laughs> well deserved, girl. You gotta give credit to where credit is due. Super proud of you. You've come a long way. I want to just go straight into it because I've all, I mean, I've been looking forward to this interview with you. I know there's four of you, but when I was told it was you coming, I'm like, yes, yes, <laughs> yes. I have, I have Chinea come on the show. So was your initial goal in this journey of yours, this beautiful jump journey of yours to be a dominant force in a male dominated world? Okay, basketball and sports journalism. Tell us your story, girl. Yeah, absolutely not. I had no clue that my life would just sort of transform into this type of life. It's mm -hmm. been a blessing. But, you know, first and foremost, I have to give credit to my parents because, you know, we are, of course, Nigerian-American. I say we because I'm one of four. I have three sisters. I'm number two. I'm a middle child. You know what I'm saying? Yes. So um, growing up in Houston, Texas, we'd still go back home to Nigeria every year or so. And so we still, even though we grew up in Texas, I grew up in a Nigerian house, you know? Yeah. And um, we all know what Nigeria is like in Africa, the patriarchy. And my dad had four girls. So I have the best girl dad ever. Because by having four girls, you know naturally a lot of people would say, oh, aren't you, don't you want a son? Don't you want a boy? My dad has never thought that any of us is less than. He actually thinks that we are more capable covertly to take over because they constantly underestimate us. He never told us that as little kids, but what he did was he empowered us to be strong women and young women. And I think the older I get, the more I have an appreciation for having such an amazing father and mother, but dad that really sort of stepped away from the norm of what would traditionally be a, um, a Nigerian dad and basically said, hey, 
this thing, basketball, while a lot of your peers and contemporaries are telling girls to cook and clean and chinenge, are you speaking Igbo? I'm like, I'm gonna ask you Igbo. I'm gonna learn Igbo eventually, okay? <laughs> but he, he basically, he and my mom, who my mom is huge in education, they said as long as your education is taken care of, you should pursue passions because being in the U.S., we have the best of both worlds. We have the American opportunities and the American dream, but we have the Nigerian determination and the ability to just push through and persevere. So you combine those two things in any kind of passion, you never know what will happen. Sure. So, you know, we weren't this tall when we came out of the womb. We were kids, but they found this outlet of basketball. First and foremost, four girls in the house growing up, you know it's going to be Wahala trouble, all that Straight stuff. Straight up. <laughs> So they're like, let's put them, they're great students, let's put them in a constructive activity. Mm -hmm. So we fell into basketball and we fell in love with it. And just the progressive nature of my parents to see such great values in basketball, teamwork, camaraderie, work ethic, just all of those type of things. Just to see those things, um, they basically were ahead of their time. And so now a lot of their peers that were like, why are your girls coming to the house? You know, on, on the weekends we go to all our Nigerian uncles and aunties home. Yes. Why are they coming in sweaty from basketball? What are they doing? Why are they in the kitchen cooking and cleaning with the rest of the grown women? You know, like as we mentor young girls, it's like, because these girls are actually doing something valuable that they're passionate about. So by the parents, our parents, um, Peter and Ethi, uh, having the fortitude to put us into sports, it really transformed our lives because next thing we knew, we grew taller. Mm -hmm. And the next thing we knew by playing basketball at a high level, someone was knocking down our door saying, we can give your girls a scholarship to Stanford University to play. Wow. And then from there, someone else was knocking down saying, hey, can I represent you in the WNBA? So without our parents sort of letting us pursue our passion, as long as we held down our schoolwork, yeah. I don't know what my life would be. You know, it looked completely different. I totally agree with you. You're definitely from a home of black excellence. Kudos to you. A big shout out going out to your mom. She just had her PhD. Speaks volume. She's, Speaks a, volume. Real, she's a real boss. <laughs> oh, God, real talk. MVP. Real MVP. Yes. So what steps did you take in order to be a WNBA star? You know, and also, you know, so it's a two-sided question. So the steps you took to be an WNBA star and also a full-time ESPN analyst because that's that's kudos on its own you know that right yeah thank you so much I think the steps I took to be a WNBA star first first I had to have a ground reality mm. I had to know who I was so a lot of people say how have you done this or achieved this I always say it's because it's rooted in who I am it's a part of my identity meaning I am a Nigerian American female athlete and a nerd and each part of my identity I've sort of attacked with a passion it's not just myself it's my sisters as well and so by attacking those things for instance being a female athlete and by doing that to the highest level like us Nigerians tend to do or oh, Africans right. do in general mm -hmm. next thing you know you know I'm competing at the highest levels in the WNBA um, same thing with school you know being a competitive student next thing you know I have an opportunity to study at Stanford University under Dr. Condoleezza Rice no, being no. Nigerian Nigerian American all right I have all these opportunities here what do I do my first real opportunity to grow in the broadcasting side I actually hosted sports Center Africa you know oh. so it's a lot of different things that have happened that have spoken to my identity mm -hmm. and I think like I said like I have had a full grasp of who I am meaning when it comes to women's basketball it's not the NBA we're still fighting for respect you know and so I knew that we we're gonna be in this fight and I knew that I couldn't play forever I've been injured twice and so I came in with the reality of playing basketball saying basically 
if I can't play forever, I've got to make the most of this platform. And so by doing that, I think that's why I can sort of say I've stepped into my WNBA spotlight because I've sort of tried to show people that as women, we are capable of so much more. You know me just by the athlete or the statistics or the box score, but you're going to know Chene Ogumake as well. You're going to know my passions. You're going to know that I'm versatile. And I knew we could do this. I could do this yeah. just because by nature of being a woman, we're naturally multitaskers. Right. You know what yeah. I mean? So maternal multitaskers. So, yes. so knowing that um, basketball is something we're fighting for success, especially on the women's side, I knew I had to show different sides of myself to sort of step into my own platform. And so by getting injured, which was a blessing in disguise, my life sort of slowed down and I started saying yes to a lot of opportunities that playing 24-7 I normally wouldn't have. I said yes to everything. And I started working with the Pac-12 networks, which uh, aired all the games in my conference at Stanford on the Pacific Coast. And then I started saying yes to LeBron's platform of media uninterrupted. I said yes to ESPN calling some women's college basketball games. I said yes to going in and, uh, and working in studio during those women's games. I said yes when they asked me to come and get interviewed by Sports Center Africa. I said yes when they called me on the way out saying, would you work for Sports Center Africa? And I said yes, even though I was scared to um, go on the NBA after being in at ESPN and speak on the NBA when I knew a lot of people were still trying to figure out like, what's that name? That's a complicated name. You know, like it's not like an easy pathway when you see our names yep. to get people to understand who we are and how to say it correctly. Mm -hmm. So I said yes to the NBA opportunity and by saying yes and working hard and hustling and being passionate about it, it all of this has just manifested into a, just a, an even greater blessing. That's great. And you also said yes to doing the AfroZone show with your girl, Sheila. Yes. Oh, yes. Oh, that was a no-brainer. <laughs> that was a no-brainer. Thank you so much for doing that. You spoke about Dr. Condoleezza Rice while studying international relations under her. What, were, what do you think were the two biggest lessons you learned about life and about, about ways that states and countries can communicate with each other? So I really do credit Dr. Condoleezza Rice with helping me understand that you can sort of pursue having it all. That's right. When I was at Stanford University, so basically my background, my backstory was when I was recruited to go to college, to university, a lot of people were like, oh, hey, come to this you know, campus and we'll show you around. Stanford is super nerdy. So I came to a football tailgate mm -hmm. and there was Chief Justice John Roberts John Elray, the NFL Hall of Famer, and Dr. Yeah. Condoleezza Rice. Stanford puts you in the mix with all kinds of amazing people. And so as a high school senior, I went on my official visit and I met her there. Then I chose Stanford. And so when I went to Stanford, a lot of our faculty and personnel are, our women's basketball program is great. So everyone comes to all of our big games. Mm -hmm. She came to our biggest game where we took down and beat UConn, which is like the top women's basketball program. I watched that, yes. Yes, and so <laughs> yes. after that game, she came into the locker room to congratulate us. And she, I was so surprised. She turned and looked at me and she's like, Chanae, yeah, I remember you from your official visit. You said you had interest in world diplomacy, history, why don't we set up a meeting to talk? I was like, oh my God, okay. yes, yeah, okay. I'll do it. So you know me, I was there the next day. So I met, and I'll never forget walking into her amazing office. It's like you walk into a building, then there's an office, you wait, then you walk into an office, and then you get to see her office. Yes. And so I went in there and I told her, she was asking me about, asking me about my experience at Stanford. 
And I told her, when I came to school, I was a little shy. Mm-hmm. Just because Stanford is the top of the top academically. And she's like, so were you participating in class? I was like, mm, I don't really raise my hand because I don't want to get exposed. I don't want to get embarrassed, <laughs> like answering any questions. She's like, Shanae, yesterday I just watched you in front of millions of people beat the number one program on the court. But you're telling me you too, you're too afraid to raise your hand and ask uh, answer a question in class with just a few hundred people? Mm-hmm. I was like, ooh, you make a good point here. You make point. a good point. So from there on, she basically was like, hey, if you're not participating in class, I'm going to call up your professors and see how you're doing. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so I was like, okay, okay, okay. And then basically she said, hey, you know what, Shanae? As hard as you go on the court, you can go this hard in the classroom. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, all right. Like, And I started shifting my mentality. I was like, okay, maybe I can really give my all to both. Because a lot of times as athletes, we feel like we can't because we have to focus on basketball. That's what got us here. That's what our scholarship was. It could be football. It could be playing an instrument. It could be a company you're running on the side. Everyone feels like it's hard to split yourself in two and do both well. So part of the international relations major, which she didn't tell me, but I was nervous when I found out, you have to go overseas to study for a quarter. Oh, wow. As a basketball player, we're not even allowed to miss one day of practice. <laughs> no. So I didn't know how I was going to miss eight weeks of school or being on campus, you know? And so basically I went to her and I was like, so I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm going to have to tell my coach I need to go overseas. Like, I'm going to just pose it to her. She's like, all right, why don't she sort of like sat back in her chair and was like, go ahead and ask her. Mm-hmm. To this day, I think she sort of went and talked to my coach beforehand just to let her coming. So I went and I went to Coach Tara, who's a Hall of Famer, amazing person and just top basketball coach. I was like, Coach Tara, a part of my major says I have to go study abroad. Mm-hmm. I know it's eight weeks. And she's like, wait, wait, wait. It's a part of your major. It's a requirement. I was like, yes. She's like, do you want to graduate? I was like, exactly. yes. She's like, then go. Then I was go. like, right? She's like, go. You should say, I literally sprinted out of that office before she could change her mind. So for me, I knew that as an athlete, I didn't have much time to really, I didn't want to, I don't want to say waste my time, but like a lot of times these programs, one's in South America, one's in China, London, France, Spain. I was like, I want to go somewhere that speaks to me. I went to Nigeria. I got a form and they allowed me to go to eight weeks and study in Nigeria where I worked with the Ministry of Petroleum, with my family connections there that allowed me to intern there. The National Assembly's uh, Committee on Human Rights. I saw everything first and foremost. And so during that time I was in Nigeria, that's when I really found my passion because it was not only seeing that Nigeria has so much power and potential as it's trying to transform, you know, the the economic, socioeconomic status of everyone. Mm -hmm. But it's also, I went and worked in a basketball camp in Benin. And so um, I went down there. Benin City, right? Benin City. And I was, um, I went and worked at basketball camp and I was so shocked. First and foremost, the kids knew who I was. They they knew who I was. There were only two courts, hundreds of kids, most of them without shoes, who knew who I was, who just wanted to be there to play basketball and be around people that were here to teach them the way. And I was just so inspired. So then after I spent my eight weeks, I went back and I was like, you know what? I'm playing playing for a purpose. Like it's so much bigger than me. Representation truly matters. I was here living my life, just achieving and striving, I guess, in a vacuum, Mm -hmm. not knowing how hard I worked doesn't just impact myself and my family and my friends and my school. It impacts millions and millions of kids, kids that look like me, that I could have been, especially the young girls, you know? So that's where my whole shift happened. I went so hard playing because I knew that those young kids would be following my stats and scores. 
And every time I have a break, which is not too often, the mm-hmm. first thing I do is come back home to Nigeria Priceless. just to show them, hey, you guys, I'm still here. I'm here to support you. And I just realized an inch can really go a mile back home. And so that's where, and I really do credit, you know, not only my parents for teaching us the value in our culture and heritage, but also Dr. Condoleezza Rice for saying, Chanae, anything is possible. Just go do it. I learned that from her because she is a shining example herself of defying all odds, defying all expectations. As a black female back in post-segregation South, Mm-hmm. That ended up becoming a figure skater. And then, you know, all the way, we all know her credentials when it comes to government and the White House. Right. Like, she defied every expectation. She did everything people that said that she couldn't. So I was like, you know what? If she can do all of that, so I funny. can do at least some of this. <laughs> and more. Today, and more. As a Nigerian woman dominating the sports world, uh, what has been the biggest obstacle you have faced to this point? Because you oh talked about for Nigeria going back and the fact that there are a lot of kids out there that are, yes, checking your starts, checking those starts to see, okay, what's she doing? What can I do? So mm-hmm. what, they would want to know what has been one of your biggest obstacles that you faced? The biggest obstacle, I think I've had two obstacles. First, when it comes to Nigerian, especially African athletes, the biggest obstacle is letting people, we need to have society catch up to our dopeness, our creativeness, That's right. our artistry. Yeah. You know, for so long in generations, our parents have said, in order to be successful, you have to climb this ladder, go step by step by step. Technology has changed the game. Also, people just doing different things, doing other things. You find out those things you can be excellent at because we naturally have that drive. Right. You know, so I would say first and foremost, the biggest obstacle and the thing that just really makes me so Uh, You know what I mean? It's just the fact that we have so much. Nigeria is a land of natural resources, abundance of natural resources, Africa in general as a continent. Mm -hmm. But we can't let those resources go to waste, meaning our natural resource is our people. We have so many athletes. If you look at the people, not only in the WNBA, myself, my sister, there's Glory Johnson, Elizabeth Williams, Arike Ogumbawale, the list is getting longer and longer right. for Nigerian athletes, right? Mm-hmm. Look at the NBA, Giannis Antetokounmpo. I'm right. expanding. Pascal Siakam, Joel Embiid, Victor Oladipo, Josh Okogi. The list is getting longer and longer. Preach it. Our name natural- them. Name them, girl. Name them. <laughs> your our natural resources yeah. are our athletes. And the thing is, we can't let them go to waste. So the thing I get frustrated with the most is when we have so much talent, we have so much power and potential people that can really transform not only their lives, but just be inspirations. We have to create infrastructures for them to succeed. We need more facilities. We need more coaches. We need, we need more investment in those young people because those young people are going to be the leaders. You know, if you, if you always see sports and athletes, athletes tend to be at the forefront of social change. Why? That's because if you think about it, the way we play our sport and our game, you're supposed to care as much as you care about yourself, care about the best player, care about the worst player, and strive for a common goal that's best for all. That's That's the values we learn in sports. And so literally by investing in the next generation of athletes, especially young girls that can be powerful and do so many different things, you'd be surprised how cultural will will just transform. So that's my first obstacle that I'm just like, that's why I come back home as much as I can. Yes. To let them know like, y'all, it's going to take some time, but I want you to see me face to face and see, I I see you. I hear you. You are not alone. You're not invisible. Your goals, your dreams are extremely valid. I tell this to all the young girls. 
just because I, I never even knew what was possible. I just got very lucky that I had amazing parents that put us in basketball. Now we see what's possible. It's on the rest of society to not be wasteful and to really invest in these resources. And on the side, I guess you can say another obstacle, I guess, is for, with my platform, um, being so young, I guess, in the television space, and having a different name, a different background, a whole different story, a lot of people tend to question, why is she here? You know, yeah. what, why is she speaking on what she's speaking, not knowing my own credentials? Exactly. So I guess, you know, just trying to balance being able to use my platform and let people understand my story, and then at the same time show people that, hey, you know, I'm a basketball analyst. Basketball mm -hmm. is basketball, whether you're a women's basketball player, a men's basketball player, a young player, or an old player. Hoop is hoop. And if I know it, I can help you understand it. It doesn't matter if you're a Hall of Famer or not. And so I guess it's been that struggle of trying to show people that women are capable more, women of color are capable of more, women that are, you know, Nigerian, like names you can't pronounce, uh, people that don't fit, uh, fit the typical mold. Yes. Young people, diverse people, like we are all capable of providing and contributing. And so, that's why I work so hard, just so that the next young girl that looks like me or has goals like me can do exactly what I can without them hesitating or thinking, hmm, I've never seen her, I don't, haven't heard of her, just because of their ignorance, not knowing what we can contribute. That's right, and you're doing a pretty good job at it. You really are. Really are, honestly, Chinaye. Congratulations, and that's one of the reasons that we love you so much. Because it's all about passion. I'm serious. I mean, I knew about you before I even did this interview. You know, everyone knows about the Women in Case sisters, like, yo, you know? And it's really that one, the second middle child, that is also an ESPN reporter, you know? Thank you. <laughs> yes. During this pandemic, though, you and your three sisters watched as your younger sister, Erica, the little one, was drafted to play in the NBA, the WNBA, uh, by the New York Liberty and then traded yeah. to Minnesota Lynx, right? Yes. Um, does it feel like your family is not a pro bowl family? How do you <laughs> feel like when you all sit down for dinner, like, you know, it's, like, we are like, it's, 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 uh, it's so funny. Yeah, it's so funny. We don't even look at each other like pro athletes. Because right. when you grow up not expecting this or wanting this per se and just falling into it and falling in love with it, like sports, basketball, it just, it's not who you are, it's just what you do. Yeah. I just think the funniest part of it all is like, I'm 6'4", Neka's 6'2". She's 5'9". How did she mess around and get to where we all are? You know what I mean? Um, but I just think it's a blessing just because I think it just shows you that greatness is contagious if you're willing to share it and support others. Neka, the first one of our family, WNBA champion, WNBA MVP, uh, president of the WNBA Players Association. I'm vice president. You know, we always roll in two. You yes. know, we, we come together. A little That's African right. nepotism. You know what I'm saying? Um, but, uh, <laughs> just greatness is contagious. You know, your energy is contagious. And so by NECA setting the standard, she allowed me to join and allowed my younger sisters to join too. So seeing her is funny too because like NECA and I knew we we're probably going to get drafted super high. Yeah. We didn't know where she was going to get drafted. <laughs> so collectively as a family, it was the most stressful draft because we're like is she gonna dra get drafted is she not we're like okay she is but where are we know where now she's traded so it was just crazy but um you know these are one of the things where we're very grateful to have this time at least think about the positives yeah normally it's hard to get us all together we've been together for two three months this is more we've been together since NECA left for college back in 20 2008 mm -hmm. you know so um, being home and seeing her drafted was a crazy experience. It was really right. fun.
How did you feel though interviewing her? Because I mean, you did the interview right on the Sports Center, oh, so you don't count that as you know, like. We were just having fun turning up afterward, and then I grabbed a little dishwasher. I was like, "Hey, Seth, how do you feel?" Because I wanted her to get a feeling of like, yeah, you know, you were still drafted. People want to know what your feelings and thoughts are. So you know me, I just had to switch on the work real quick to make it work. If you were to give her one piece of advice, being that she's the younger sister, she's the last one on this journey, what would that be? I would just tell her to do what you are passionate about and also use your platform for power. You know, as women, I think naturally, because people second guess us, we come at them with proper energy 24 seven, right? And so you see a lot of WNBA players doing different things. Like I'm in broadcasting, my teammate Candace Parker's in broadcasting, NECA's mm-hmm. ahead of the union. Mm-hmm. So many, like some women are coaching in the NBA in their off season. Her, her path is medical school. Yes. So um, whatever she's passionate about, what she wants to do, if it's play and also go to medical school, if it's just go to medical school or just play, follow your heart, but also work tirelessly, you know, for what you want. And that's what she already does. She's the youngest. She knows how to operate. You know, we're all telling her what to do, but we're extremely proud of her just because my goodness, like medical school, future doctor. She didn't just like get a degree. She got three health sciences i think spanish and then some public policy and on top of it i think she had near if not a 4.0 so like she's in a league of her own as great as people talk about us she's another and we haven't even mentioned our third sister chisong she's She's, um she's 24 right she's 24 she's 24 (laughs) and she's like while i've been here watching netflix and chilling and working out she's in business school every day and yep. she's probably going to pursue her PhD and be have a PhD by 26, 27. So, awesome. like, we're the ones that just put a ball in a basket. The younger ones are the ones that sort of watch and evaluate and say, all right, I can do this. So to have a doctor and then another doctor, Personal. I'm the one that's probably going to be coming to them for advice in a little bit. Oh, I don't see that happening, girl. No, no, no. You're way, you're way ahead of your time, Chinea. way ahead of your time. Uh, how does it feel like, you know, we talked about Necker as well. How does it feel like playing on the same team with Necker? And you guys get into fights. You get into her, her fights. I mean, who starts the fights? You know what I mean? If she gets into trouble, do you just like, oh, I'm going to go in first? Or how does it, how does, how does it feel like? So it's funny. Um, playing with Necker, first and foremost, is so convenient. Like, we are, it, I would say I came out the womb with a twin because as long as I came out, you know, she was right next to my side. We've always been two peas in a pod. And I think it's, it was really hard for us after she left Stanford, got drafted. I was there at Stanford for two more years. She was living a life in LA. She played in Poland, then she went to China, then she played for five years in Russia. So after being with someone for 18 years of your life, and then that person's gone living a new life, you know, it was hard for us to to stay in sync because we barely saw each other. And so playing um, together has just been the best thing ever, just because I have my sister back. Like I can just do and hang out and not even have to worry. A lot of things that I would normally worry about, she takes care of. She's the oldest, she's the Ada. You know, like every night she's cooking something, I just go and get my food and Like She does all the hard work and gets barely of the credit, but I, I love playing with my big sister. I think the only thing we need now is to, for us to win together a championship yes. with the LA Sparks. That would be beautiful, especially if we beat the Minnesota Lynx and Arama. You know, that will be great. I mean, I'm there for oh, my microphone. Like, yo, 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 Afrozos, we're in the building. You know, let's go, let's get it. You know, from your perspective, what would you see will become the future of the WNBA after this pandemic is over? And uh, what is the mindset of your fellow colleagues? You know, 
Yeah, the future of the WNBA is so bright. You need shades, okay? So, yeah. um, <laughs> just because I'm really proud to say that, you know, my my sister Neka spearheaded the new CBA as president. We just ratified a new collective bargaining agreement, which is basically what the rule book in which the NBA and the WNBA, the NBA is our partners, um, governs our league. From salary to benefits to mental health resources, we created the most progressive uh, collective bargaining agreement that we could have had. And we thought we were nervous because we've been working at it for two years. And we're like, I hope this is good enough. And for a lot of people to see that this was such a groundbreaking uh, agreement, we were very proud. But the more I realized, you know, people talk about it, and the more distance I have from us having this new CBA and the WNBA, the more I realized it's a ground establishing agreement. We fought for and achieved things that women should have in the workplace, period. Not just women in sports, but women in the workplace, period. Meaning salary and compensation. A lot of people say that WNBA players want the same salary as the NBA players. No, we're not saying we want LeBron James, Steph Curry money, no. What we're saying is we want fair pay. That's right. Meaning if the NBA has this certain, they say the players are worth this revenue as human beings that play the game of basketball. Well, guess what? We're the best women's basketball league in the world too, the WNBA. Wow. Where right. only 144 players get to play in the WNBA. You should treat us as such. So we finally were creative in a way that we partnered with the NBA and the WNBA so that, hey, when it comes to having a fair salary, we're going to be creative and have salary and also additional compensation that's truly betting on women. Meaning now top players can make almost $250,000 and then make almost $250,000 more on top of it in endorsements from the NBA. So there'll be a pool of $12 million to spread out to players on top of it. We're investing in you guys. That's basically what they're saying. And also when it comes to women, the reason why our agreement really was a big win for women was just because it achieved things that people thought should have already happened. That's why I say it was ground establishing, meaning full paid maternity leave. Like when you're a woman in the workplace, that shouldn't be a question. When you go on maternity leave, you should get full pay. And so by achieving that and also being even more progressive as women that work, we have a workplace that now will give us up to $60,000 if you're a veteran for um, you know adoption, surrogacy, egg fertilization, yeah. a lot of the family planning process because you're working and you're sort of sacrificing some of your you know your years in which you'd probably want a family plan just so that you can play for the WNBA, which you're proud of. So now we're gonna have the WNBA support us back, right? So just finding ways to be extremely progressive and creative in, in helping women, just period, not just women in sports. I will just say that our future is extremely bright because now we have this amazing new agreement where women are finally getting paid more what it's like, or it should be at least. And people are starting to care about women hoopers. A lot of times people used to say, WNBA, mm. oh, it's a joke. <laughs> well, guess what? We're in this socially conscious age where it's like, that's right. it's not funny just to joke, just to joke. Mm-hmm. The reality is if you met this woman in person, you'd be asking her for your autograph. Blown the reality away. is if you have a daughter, you'd want her to play in the WNBA. So we have a lot of people that are freedom fighters that are helping us um, basically set people straight and say it's no longer funny these yeah. women are real women that can work that can hoop that can cross you up that can dunk on you you know what I mean of so finally society society yeah. is catching up to elevating women we finally got the financial investment the social investment and also just people in general the sentiment is there for women to succeed at least in sports and that's why a lot of women really were happy for us when we signed our agreement mm. 
<laughs> I love it. I love it. You know, Afrobeats. I hear you like Afrobeat music right now. Yeah, you're feeling it, right? I see. I yes. see. Yes. Yes, yes. Alphabet is making his waves right now, right? Oh and my gosh. we're Tsunami waves. <laughs> Major waves, right? Major waves. And uh, like for us, being the only Afrobeat show that's nationally syndicated, it's been a journey for us. Congratulations. Thank you so much. We keep pushing. But how does it make you feel as an, you know, first and foremost, an African? And of course, an American, because of course, you're born in Texas. How does it make you feel knowing that, that your music, you know, that you've been hearing at home, maybe from your mom or your dad, maybe even though it might have been on Yeko Wenu or maybe. Might have been, I don't know, Sonia a day or whatever, but now you're hearing the new generation. How does it make you feel to know that Afrobeat is now the forefront of music? I love it. I love it. You know, I've been listening to African music as long as I've been born. It's just a part of our culture, right? And so now to see it come more mainstream here in the States, I love it. I mean, one of my I just made some more friends. Um, Vector the Viper is one of my close friends that I met recently in Nigeria. And so just hearing his intellectual level about elevating African storytelling has been really inspiring to me. Um, obviously, I've grown up on WizKid, David yes. O. Now Burna's out here. Um, I've been a big fan of Runtown, Odunzi, The Engine. I'm even falling in for Wasimi. Like, there's <laughs> the list just keeps going on and on. Jidenna. Jidenna. Oh, Jidenna, of course. Yeah, that's here. Like, in the state. Like, I'm yes. starting over there. And I'm starting over there. Okay, okay. <laughs> but yeah, like, I just think that, you know, it's funny because I don't know if it was just like Black Panther that awakened society here in the no, state. Right. Like, we can be proud of our African heritage no matter how far removed you are. Because that's when it sort of started exploding beyond. Beyonce has her partner album with a lot of African artists. But what I've been telling people is it's always been crazy. Always. It's always been lit. It's always been fire. Now we're having this real awakening for it and a real appetite for it. And I'm just really um, grateful to be a part of the process where I'm like, when I go to the gym, my teammates like, hey, hey, Chine, yeah, put the burner boy on. Yeah, I like that's that. Right. Yes. <laughs> That's a win for me. Yes, that's how it should be. But you know, we, you know, it's funny you say that. Yeah, that's just that's such a win for us all. You know, but you know, if I have to be honest with you, there's still a disconnect though with Africans yes. and African Americans. No matter how hard we try, this disconnection is there. It's there. It is there, and it's very worrisome. You know, I mean, obviously, you know, you have African heritage, like I said. When you're born in the states, of course, you have friends who are Americans. But then, why do you think there's this disconnect with African Americans and Africans? And you know, not just white, and I think I rather say, how do you think we should bridge this gap? Because we're one, right? Yes. How can we bridge this gap? What do you think? Yes, absolutely. Um, so what I would say is just, I think there's a lot of. I don't want to, I don't know if the word is insecurity, but we all have insecurity on our own parts, meaning African Americans are still trying to figure out, you know, what their heritage back home really means to them. Meaning you're born and raised in the States, but you know, you've been a part of this forced process of being here. Yeah. And so where, where does my heritage, where does it matter mean to me? Where does it evolve? You know, where does it sit in my life? And I think we're insecure about that. You know, I can even relate being an African-American here because when mm -hmm. I walk down the street, people don't know my my heritage. They just yeah. see my, my yeah. outside, my yeah. external. And then I think as Africans, we have our own insecurities because we are so bullish on our yeah. customs and our ways of the past. 
and we come to a foreign land where we're not necessarily accepted because you're other than the black American. Uh So we both are insecure in our roles. But at the same time, I think what we're realizing is, and this is, it might be an oversimplification, okay? Mm -hmm. A real oversimplification. But this is one thing I realized in um, middle school. When I was going to middle school, all the girls are wearing the same jeans. And you want to wear the same jeans. You want those, I think it was Abercrombie with the mm-hmm. same feet, right? <laughs> yeah. And I would be like, man, I can never fit in those jeans. My legs are too long. They're all, you know, like, why I wish it just fit just like it fit those other girls. Now, if you look at fashion, you don't want to be the same. No. You want to be recognized for your differences. You want to show your personal identity. That's right. We all go out looking the same. People are like, no, you're looking for the one person that stands out. Yes. I think that's the evolution process of our identity. For so long, we've been thinking like, oh, we're all part of this one narrative. No, we all have our own distinct shape and view that has shaped us into who we are. How are we connected to that? How do we stand out? How do we, you know, sort of fuel our personal um, identities? And so I think being both Nigerian and American, I can see the value in both. I can see the the insecurities in both. But one thing I love, this is what I will tell you when it comes to my Nigerian American experience. Mm -hmm. There's something, you know, we always talk about the brain drain, meaning like, Back, you know, my parents' generation, a lot of our top scholars left, you know, Nigeria and they went to get schooling in London or even now it's China and the States and all that type of stuff. Now they messed around and all of a sudden built lives and families. A lot of, I think, our intention was to go back home, our parents, but now you're like, oh, well, the opportunity here, the job here, this is good. Or guess what? I can do more here to help there. Like our parents' generation were firmly rooted in a different place, a foreign place. Now as kids, we're starting to see the value in being different. And that's sort of what I was speaking to. And we have this natural curiosity, this second generation to go back and to fulfill and make sure our, our culture does not, you know, fall or falter or anything. I may not speak evil. I can understand it. Mm-hmm. Not when you test me. But like when I'm here, my parents oh, say something like, oh, why are y'all talking about me? That's yes. when I hear the most clearly, right? Yes. But we have this value in our differences and, and just bringing it together and using our platforms and our creativeness. A lot of the things, the insecurities, the vulnerabilities that sort of hurt us before, now we've, we're at reconciling them and starting to, instead of as Nigerians compete, mm-hmm. we're starting to collaborate. Because we're realizing we have strength in numbers and it's not just Nigerians, it's black Americans, it's women, it's anybody that feels less than, I guess you can say, because the system was not generally built for us. Now we're like, guess what? It's not one person succeeding. We're like, man, I wish it was that one person. It's like that one person succeeding, knocking down the door and bringing everyone in so that there's more fair, there's more equity. And so that's how I view our differences you know in society a lot of times we think about what we don't have instead of thinking about what we do have and then from there what do we do with what we have we are in the second generation where we're trying to do the most now because we're finally allowed to allowed to play sports allowed to be musicians my friend Yvonne Argy is a comedian yes. like, we're allowed to do these things that yes. were so different and that a lot of people probably stereotyped or thought differently or we struggled with and now we're starting to see oh alright if I go to her show and support her mm-hmm. that's supporting her allows my little sister to, you know what I mean like that's right. there are just so many exponential levels to just being together and celebrating our differences
That's priceless. Chile, I had a, I had a fan sending a question for you, and I'm sure you know what they're about to ask you. It's always about marriage, right? So don't worry. I answered them for you. <laughs> I answered them for you. I'm like, he was like, she's such a ball of excellence. You know, he's like, you know, he just wanted to, he wanted me to ask you three questions. You ready? Yeah, sure. First one was, what's your favorite African food? Ooh, they're soup. trying to find out your DNA. They want to know what makes up chicken. Okay. Mm -hmm. okay. By the way, I don't shy away from marriage questions because okay, we on the hunt, <laughs> sister. We on the hunt. Um, <laughs> or should I say, Auntie? Let me be respectful. No, uh, no come on. <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah, my favorite. Okay, so I can eat red stew mm -hmm. and rice every day, but right. I'll pretty much put red stew on anything if I want to be on my diet and not eat too many carbs. So red stew on sweet potatoes, on rice, on moi moi. Red stew is like water to me. I can eat it. I can drink whatever with everything. But when I'm feeling a little sophisticated, yes. I eat egusi soup. That's That's soup is my super choice. <laughs> it's a super choice. Okay, you once referred. He says you once referred to your dress style as classic ratchet or something or something. Yeah, yes. <laughs> so, ratchet. ratchet. That's what he said. Break it down. What I mean, is this that? Right here, you know, a little, skirt. No. <laughs> a little skirt, you know what I'm saying? A little mini skirt. <laughs> okay, so um, basically, I I think especially my profession, yeah. um, being on TV, it's like you gotta look like a broadcaster and stuff like that. But then I started realizing I was like, I'm young. You I want to show people that I'm young doing my thing. So let me also bring my little ratchet side too. So that's why I tell people sophista ratchet or even like a little sporty spice because mm. I'm so tall and not many people, especially the anchors and hosts are that tall. So I'll be wearing sneakers on TV. So like a little bit of versatility with my fashion is sort of what I go for. Love it. Last question. What is your ideal type of guy? Okay. 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 That's the last one. <laughs> Uh, my ideal type, if I was going <laughs> to, I can name a name that can give you ideal type, but I'm not going to do that. Okay. I'll be giving him too much clout. Too much clout. Um, <laughs> I would say taller than me, mm -hmm. that would be preferable, uh, God-fearing, yeah. family-oriented, African heritage. You know what's funny? Yeah. When I was oh, 23, my mom's like, Shanae, you must bring an Igbo man. <laughs> 24, Nigerian man. Getting better now. Five, West African man. Twenty-six, African man. Twenty-seven, Chine, African American. Bring him. Black. Just bring him. 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 West African, I matched with the Ghanaian, you know, so I, I would prefer someone that has an appreciation for my culture. The way I say it is like, if we start playing Premier Gao or some <laughs> kind of dance move song, I want you to get hyped. You gotta you get with the program. Thank you. So I was like, if you can't appreciate that this is a good thing, like a hype thing, then I'm like, oh, we gonna struggle. You know what I mean? Disconnect. Um, someone that has an appreciation for my culture. So you could be a white guy that yes. loves Nigerian culture and is great to me and my family, family, or you know what I mean? But like, I would prefer <laughs> chocolate. You know what I'm saying? That's right. And the, well, last chocolate. Thing, the last thing I always tell people is I want someone that has a healthy appetite for ambition. Right. Meaning when it comes to work, you don't Too have to be up. where you need to be a CEO or no. you know, PhD, but if you are striving towards it, you have a healthy appetite for ambition right. and you're not settling to stay where you are, whether it's 
not where you want to be. As long as you're striving, I can meet you where you are because we're both striving together. A lot of people say, oh, you want a CEO, you want a, a guy, you want a boss man. No, no, no. I want someone that's going to be home, that's going to pick up the kids, <laughs> yes. that's going to help me, that's they're going to support a working woman if necessary. That's right. You know what I mean? So, I, I don't know. Everyone says I'm too picky, so, but that's my list. You're allowed to, darling. You've earned it, okay? You've earned it. So, what does the future hold for you, Chanae? What are you looking forward to right now? What should people look out for that you actually Honestly, working on? Or what does the future hold, girl? You've done I it never, all at 28. But, yo, I know there's more because your creator has bigger plans for you. So, I mean, amen. you know, what does the future hold for you? I, okay, so I never really plan or predict, but I will say that I have Africa and Nigeria on my mind a lot. So the future will have me heavily involved there. I can tell you that. Beautiful. Today, thank you so much. I had so much fun. It's like I'm talking to my girl. I and know. We got to link it. And hey. that's how this interview was going to be like. And I hope I made you comfortable because I had so much fun talking to you, girl. No, you are a queen. You are excellent at what you do. Thank you so much for giving us a platform to share our unique stories because there are not many platforms that are international that celebrate heritage like you do. So thank you so much. And you're a queen, Afrozon, Amazon, everything. All the zones, all the zones. <laughs> yes. Thank you so much for coming through and stopping by on How Far. And I look forward to following your story. I look forward to doing more interviews with you. I look forward to keep telling people your story. We got to tell your story because that's the lesson. Yes. Thank you so much. Thank, appreciate thank you it. so much. I appreciate you. Thank you. Thank you. Bye.